0: Hey there, this is your host, Selena Robinson. You are listening to Journey to Gentle podcast. I am a mama sharing my journey to be more compassionate, mindful and supportive with myself, my kids and others. Thank you for tuning in. On this journey with me today, I have here my best friend, my best friend, Danny. We've lived similar yet very different lives these differences influenced danny to start her activism early on and from then i've learned a lot from her we will be discussing what it was we will be discussing what it was like for her growing up in baltimore and how that shaped her thoughts around the injustices happening in the us right now i can't read uh,
1: <laughs> i know neither can i <laughs>
0: <laughs> Some of that I didn't even read it
1: actually that's I read not it true extra. well I can read <sighs> and apparently hold on I'm not done apparently I look like I can read you do can I tell you that several people have said that to me individually and it has concerned me every time <laughs> because what does that mean
0: <laughs> I don't
1: know I don't know how to take that whenever it is said to me you look like you know how to read oh yes well it just so happens that I do (laughs) what (laughs) is it a feature I don't understand is it it written on your forehead (laughs) is it written on my forehead that's a little fun fact about me (laughs) you can
0: read you not
1: only I, can read, mm-mm. you look like you can read. I look like I can read. So if you, were, if you ever wanted to picture me, imagine someone who can read. That's me. That is <laughs> still That's concerning
0: to this day. That's like a great, great image going on there. Thank you. <laughs> Would that be considered like... um A
1: microaggression. I was thinking that maybe if I understood what it meant, but I'm too small brain, so I don't know. Like, what are you trying to say to me? I'm not getting it. Right. So maybe. (laughs) But to me, it just make my it it make my little wheels turn, and then I'm there for twenty minutes. Like, well, I can so. You're not wrong, I think.
0: (laughs) Um, Also, I do want to mention before we get too deep into this. There he goes. (laughs) It is 1135 Pacific time, PM. Zion is awake, my oldest, my four-year-old. So you uh, will probably hear him at some point. If you haven't already, Libra Gang up late. Okay, let's start from the beginning. So I asked my mom, right? When she had us meet or when they they introduced us. She said kindergarten.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) You don't even remember that. I can't tell you. So then this is still like a mystery for us kindergarten. I can't. Oh, I cannot accurately tell you. Hi, hi. Let me say hi, Danny. Hi, hi. So apparently we met when, when, when eighth grade. Wait,
0: no. Oh, per our memory, we met eighth grade. But yeah, for what my mom says, we met in kindergarten.
1: I mean, it's possible. And okay, so from what you do remember of your childhood, does that start off in Baltimore? Yeah. Yes, it definitely starts off in Baltimore. Baltimore is technically, I, Baltimore is technically, technically the place that I was raised. I moved there six months after my life started, so. Like, you weren't born in Baltimore? I was not. Okay. I wasn't born, no, I was not born in Baltimore. Okay. Well, this is new information. Really, you did? I thought I told. I thought you knew. No. You. I feel like you knew. nope That I was born in California. What? I thought I we was like, like East Coast babies.
0: babies.
1: We was East Coast babies. I am. I am a West Coast like sleeper agent. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to hold up your computer. Like I can't. <laughs> So yeah, I know my mom's from Baltimore, born, born and raised. So that's where you claim. Yeah, I was I, I pretty much grew up there. I spent a little bit of time in Savannah and, and Fort Stewart. And then we would spend that time between Fort Stewart and El Paso. And that was kind of like the summers. Baltimore for the school year, El Paso for the summer. Because it seems like you spent more time in Baltimore.
0: So that would have been the place mm-hmm. that would have had the biggest impact on you. I did not mention, so I would like to mention now. We've had this conversation like three times before. Mm -hmm. So we'll be mentioning things from our previous conversation and hopefully we're able to uh, clarify enough here. You know, I do imagine that Baltimore is like, especially uh, like schools there are like wildly different from Georgia and Texas, like what you experienced there. Like not just the schools, but also the
1: environments. Yeah, definitely the the environments are incredibly different. Um, I did not go to school in um, Fort Stewart or Savannah or El Paso. However, the communities in El Paso were either predominantly Black or predominantly Mexican. So that was definitely a difference between Georgia and Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Fort Stewart was where I first asked to learn Spanish from one of my dad's friends. And um, El Paso was kind of like that immersion into kind of like some Spanish community. So hearing Spanish more often than like here or there.
0: Is that kind of like where your love for Spanish started? Um I don't well, I don't know. Like do you love Spanish? you like it enough to major
1: in yeah. college. So so let's get this let let me straighten that up. I like language enough to major in it <laughs> and took my options as they were. Um <laughs> I do love Spanish. I've been, but I've also been studying languages, just different languages, for a very long time, and didn't realize that I was particularly doing so. It was something that was kind of like a, this was gone on a tangent, hasn't it? It was something that was like a hobby for me. Uh, to just, that's just setting that straight. I, uh, if I, I'm technically a foreign language major. I'm a concentration of Spanish. So on the topic of education, right? Yeah.
0: In one of our other conversations, you mentioned it, the way that the school schools were when you were in Baltimore, uh, like not having textbooks or not having like actual classrooms.
1: Yeah, we were talking about school-wise, like what kind of what type of education um we got around race and how that differed. From different schools because my first school was predominantly black, and then I transferred middle. I transferred an elementary school to a predominantly white school, and there were marked differences in those schools. And one of them being that in the predominantly black school, we we had some classrooms, like but most of our classrooms were just this big room separated separated by these roll-away cork boards. That teachers would decorate like they were walls, mm-hmm. and like you could hear other people on the other side of the court floor, but like they made it work, I guess. And yeah, I didn't. I can't, I don't remember getting my first textbook until um, it very well could have been either middle or high school, um, which, like I said earlier, didn't matter because I didn't know how to use a textbook until college. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, but that's just so <laughs> interesting, like it It really is we didn't get textbooks until I mean, when not, my first experience was with textbooks was people telling me what page to turn to, and then you get to college and you're like, nobody's telling me what page to turn to. I don't know how to use this book, <laughs> right? And then you got to figure it out. Now, some people know how to use textbooks because I always had them, yeah, different types of education. right. So, but oh,
0: well. One thing that I was going to ask was um, so I I've told you before, like um, so I went to like mostly white schools, and so I started mm-hmm. off in white schools, and then in middle school I had I went to my first mostly black school, and one of the first things that I said was like, "Where's all the white people?" Like I was shocked that there were so many black people in one place. How, what was your reaction? moving from a mostly black school to a
1: mostly white school. There was definitely culture shock because, you know, suddenly you're the you're the center of attention. And you come in and people are asking you, can you teach them how to pop? And I'm just like, what are you talking about? That happened? Yeah, it did. A lot of um, racist things happened that uh, went unchecked because it was the 90s. <laughs> it was the late 90s and it was just normal i wanted to say earlier with education when we last spoke we were talking about the type of education we got around race in school and you mentioned that in your history classes you were taught stuff like manifest destiny and things like that
0: and and that christopher columbus was uh you know a good guy he, he was Yeah.
1: And I understand why that's taught in a predominantly white school, but in a predominantly black school, that idea doesn't really work because it was never our right to be here. This was never our land. Like we were we were brought here. So it wouldn't really make sense to teach that in that community because like just systematically and intrinsically, we knew that. Mm-hmm. Like, we were kind of in a place we did, we never really belonged. So, it would, it would definitely be strange and out of place for um, a predominantly Black school to teach Manifest Destiny, in my opinion. Uh, one of the marked differences was the Black history that we learned in that predominantly Black school versus the predominantly white school. My first school had like murals with famous Black people, like um, the obvious Malcolm X. Martin Luther King, um, Flo Jo, Jackie Joyner kersey like we had, we grew up, we went to school looking at their faces on our walls, and like when I transferred, I don't even know it was on those walls, like a flower and a rainbow, like there was just mm-hmm. there were no black faces. So that yeah, was one that, of the biggest different. One of the biggest differences that I didn't notice until later. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I could definitely like that's something that I would remember from like growing up is you know you had to like paint brushes and art stuff on the walls and but you wouldn't you definitely wouldn't see any black faces but I don't think you saw white faces either but then like in the history books because mm-hmm. we had textbooks it was filled with that so like I remember um like learning the Constitution, learning the presidents, and and having to name the presidents because that was in the back of our history book so. um there was just plenty of white faces everywhere for me like so like from switching schools and like with those differences that you were that you saw and like how one school didn't have textbooks and like so you didn't really know how to use them because of that and the differences in the education i remember growing up of course you know like we've made progress and there's no more races and education yeah. is an equal thing now which of course isn't true and that's something that you were able to see for yourself
1: yeah imagine going from seeing black faces of these these successful black faces every day to nothing like no black history nothing like Mm -hmm. you just don't exist anymore or if you do it's whatever it's whatever kind of like token type like um stereotypical type like, oh can you teach me how to dance? You must know how to dance because you're black. A lot of people wanted to trust test out their racist jokes on me. None I will repeat. Many containing the N-word. So then you experienced a lot. Like I don't think like
0: I it, unless I was just very unaware. Like I've never other than online experienced any kind of like racism or racial comments like that. But you remember them pretty vividly
1: yeah definitely because it was um it was a shock to me because nobody's saying a bunch of racist stuff to me at an all-black school (laughs) Mm -hmm. because we're all black but um when I got there I um I kind of learned I I already knew about racial tensions like racism wasn't something like some new concept to me like it wasn't something that I Actually, hadn't experienced before, but it wasn't. It was never so consistent and so immersive. When I moved to that predominantly white area, I remember inviting um, me to her birthday party, but she she asked me like she asked me really nicely. She kind of begged me not to steal anything because her parents didn't like black people, and I was just like, I told my dad about it, and he was like, "You're absolutely not going." And that's when I realized, okay, so you have to know which white people you can trust. Because I already knew, like, even if I went, something bad could happen to me. Yeah. Like, regardless of what I said or what I actually did, I knew that I would be Mm -hmm. the bad guy. So I understood my place. That's not
0: something that I've ever experienced, but it is something that I worry about for um, Zion and Xander. Zion in particular, because Xander does appear to be more ambiguous, and Zion is a dark-skinned black boy. You know, I still don't think I ever mentioned that yeah. you're black. If you guys
1: didn't know, she's black. I, I th- they may, they might have got that from context clues, though. <laughs> I think I'm leaving that in there. Though. They might have figured it out. I going it. <laughs> Full disclosure: I am black-skinned. Um, and a black person dark skin dark
0: skinned black woman so what about outside of the home so like for me I've always kind of lived in like this little bubble and I think that's why if anything racist happened to me I just didn't notice I've kind of had the privilege of not of just like being in a bubble and I really didn't get much education outside of the home on like race and racism. So I kind of thought it was something that was in the past that we've moved past. But for you, it's a completely different story.
1: Yeah, like I said, I had always known that racism was something that I would have to like deal with. Um, And I think, I I don't want to say it was an obligation, but I think mom felt like it was her, my mother felt like it was her obligation to kind of like show us the real world so that when we went out into it we would know because it's dangerous out here so she took us to um, she took us to the national great blacks and wax museum in baltimore we call it the blacks and wax museum it's blacks and wax um and it is exactly what it sounds like it's black people wax it's wax black people (laughs) and it's just like these exhibits these wax figurines throughout history and it starts off nice and mild with some just moments in history of Black excellence, I would say. And then as we go deeper in history, the wax figurines get more and more gruesome given our past. And it gets harder and harder as the reality sinks in that of what our ancestors have been through and really just the history of our country. What is technically still prevalent today, like one of the last One of the last exhibits was a exhibit of the latest lynching, which at the time was in the 2000s. That's really recent. You know, we were young at the time and I remember seeing an exhibit that looked like, that looked just like me and my brother. And the little kids had like nooses around their neck and they were about to be, you know, dragged off and lynched. And I remember thinking like, I, I thought of course that it's wrong and it's gruesome, but it also felt like the destiny of black people in this country. So that was my, yeah, that's that was kind of like my perspective on race from a young age. I kind of knew that my place wasn't mm-hmm. a great place. <laughs> like my life didn't uh, mm-hmm. really matter.
0: I'm sure we'll talk about it some more later. Would that have been, I mean, it sounds like pretty traumatic to. It was definitely younger traumatic. younger to, to see. Yeah. Yeah. To see that. Do you think that was <clears throat> the start or like around the start of the traumatic images that you, that we've been subjected to? throughout the years around uh, what's going on with Black people in this country?
1: I wouldn't say it's the start because I had dealt with a lot of um, racial issues before that, especially concerning the police. I lost my uncle to gun violence. Violence in the Black community has always been something that has been talked about.
0: And then so that when it, it, it stuck with you because you saw yourself and your brother in those kids.
1: It's, it definitely stuck, It stuck with me because I saw myself and I realized how little I thought my life was worth. And so that kind of set my perspective for how I allowed people to treat me and what I accepted as far as racism.
0: Do you think it caused you to accept more racism?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because it was what I thought I was worth. Not that that was, like, its intention, but it was how I um, internalized it.
0: That that makes sense. I mean, that was the way that people are treated in this country. I mean, like you were saying, you felt like your life didn't matter. And, I mean, it kind of goes with the movement that's happening now. Black Lives Matter. So many Black people have felt like their lives didn't matter that a movement to spread the message that Black Lives Do Matter
1: came to be. So I was young, you know, when I was forming these thoughts and it only occurred to me later in life that after, you know, meeting a couple of kids, because I used to volunteer a lot in Baltimore, after meeting a couple of kids that I wasn't the only person that felt like that. I almost feel like every Black kid growing up in Baltimore Mm -hmm. felt like that because that's kind of what we were seeing every day on the streets, you know, in person from our history. Sanders awake.
0: Oh, we might have to pause and come back. So that is where we ended this part of our conversation, but stay tuned for part two. If you enjoyed what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to be notified when, when I upload a, another episode. And if you are looking for Gentle Parenting merch, Feel free to check out my shop, link in the description. Bye.